0: You're listening to the thoroughly good classical music podcast. This episode is presented by John Jacob. During a recent trip to the Lameria Festival in East Lothian, I heard concerts from the Kaleidoscope Chamber Collective and pianist Jeremy Denk. I also got to meet up with this chap.
1: So my name is Ben Goldshide. I'm a horn player. Um, And in answer to the question, why do I do it? Well, I guess the cliched answer is I really can't imagine not doing it. But the practical answer is that both my parents were musicians. It was inevitable that I was going to play something, And I went to the the local state school and brought home a French horn one day. You just brought one home. Well, actually, that's not quite true. I started on the cello. And uh, then at the same time, I was diagnosed with a lung condition called bronchiectasis. And my lung function was only 50%. And the doctors at the Royal Brompton Hospital in Kensington, they suggested that perhaps with a lot of sport, um, taking up a brass instrument might be really beneficial to my lungs. So we decided I'm going to play a brass instrument so when I went to the school I actually brought home a euphonium and my parents almost had a heart attack and said what on earth is that and
0: so from from we- so quite judgmental pair.
1: <laughs> well I think my career prospects were going to be slimmer so then by oh, okay, okay. Fr- from practical from week two it was, it was the horn and uh, I was discharged from the, the Brompton hospital at the age of 13 so something worked
0: During our conversation we talked about Gold studies, horn player Dennis Brain, and the horn concertos of Oliver Nusson and Ruth Gipps and a handful of other crucial questions including domestic arrangements.
1: Having massaged my ego at the beginning this now feels, this feels wrong. Um... Yeah, that's I'm not very good at washing up. I, I probably. I was about to ask you about the probably,
0: dishwasher. Do you do you load the dishwasher? How do you load the dishwasher?
1: I, I definitely don't hold my weight in household chores. That's for sure.
0: Okay, but how do you hold? The, but how do you load the dishwasher? You, you're looking at me in a way that says that you don't do that. No, no, no
1: I, I do now and so then. So
0: you like order. You like things to be neat and tidy, but you don't load the dishwasher.
1: Well, I'm very seldom at home. So. Oh, nice no. <laughs>
0: I'm still getting my head around a lung condition. You'd you'd sort of assume a lung condition would would prevent you from playing a wind instrument, but this was actually a
1: benefit. Well, the the playing of the wind instrument and the strengthening of the lungs and the constant use of them were intended to be a kind of homeopathic um, remedy. So, you know, when when I'm playing the horn, every breath I take is close to five litres. So if you imagine that compounded by four hours a day, the activity that my lungs are doing uh, is really quite extraordinary especially for someone who who suffers from a lung condition so it really does strengthen them
0: and is that ongoing then or is that now done over
1: it's something I'll have for my whole life and I have to manage it like quite strictly to be honest I have to make sure I'm in a good physical condition Uh, I can't touch cigarettes or anything like that and um, actually because I've taken so much care over it over the last 10-15 years um, the only side effects now are if i were to get a cold if i were to get covid i'd much more likely suffer more than say you uh, presuming that you're a healthy individual <laughs> you're looking at me you're looking
0: at me like I'm, I'm suddenly frightened i don't know why i've had both vaccinations i'm disease free everything's fine but i've suddenly sort of become aware of uh, your vulnerability actually and i hadn't been aware of that before when did you first um this is often what happens by the way Somebody asks a question. Somebody says something, and then we go off on the tangent. Um, when, what age were you when you were aware of, when you were diagnosed? When you were aware of it?
1: Well, I was six years old, and so for seven years, I was having three different antibiotics per day, going to the Royal Brompton every two weeks, and doing physiotherapy every. It was quite serious, yeah. Um, what a yeah. thing to
0: deal with. I mean, I'm, I'm really what what's going through my mind is, dear God you had to handle all of that?
1: Yes. Or maybe I mean, you
0: just took it on to you.
1: Well, I don't know. I mean, I'm a person that... You just, you just get on with it. I mean, you can, you can either get on with it or not. And one is obviously a better outcome than the other. <laughs> um. <laughs> yeah.
0: Um, I wrote down in my notes uh, during the concert, because that's what I do, I'm afraid, because that's what I'm required to do, um, that you have a remarkable stillness about you. And actually, that is reflected in uh, the way you speak and actually probably in your mindset would you agree th- how you hit see or consider yourself
1: well it's something i think that given the life that we all lead as travelling chamber solo musicians it's very hectic very stressful and so we do or at least i speak for myself i do search for this stillness you have to deal with delayed trains with three hours sleep with not finding the, the right conditions you know, uh, c- you know we couldn't find anywhere to have lunch today for example so 30 minutes before uh, here yeah. or I so we're having a pizza which is possibly the worst thing to eat 30 minutes before and then suddenly you're, you're, you start clapping and we have to walk on and play a 25 minute Beethoven piece and there must be some something in the back of the brain that enables you to switch and to turn all of the the fuzz off, shall we say, yeah. and concentrate in that moment. And that, I think, is a lifelong search, certainly for me, and I presume it's the same for, for many other
0: people. You speak with a remarkable amount of maturity. I'm not really surprised about that, but uh, I'm wondering what impact when you were, were you at the Barenboim School you finished there so which I, was new that was a new
1: school exactly I went to the Barenboim Said Academy in Berlin I was the first cohort of students in 2016 I studied with Radek Babark who was my horn idol from the age of 10 and I graduated um, in lockdown July 2020
0: what was the I suppose what I'm asking is what, what was the impact of that period on your mindset
1: yeah I think there's a there are many elements to this um of course this is a wonderful way to massage my ego but but it is
0: it is. oh you've seen right through me oh god
1: no but you know I went first and foremost I went to Berlin not knowing a single person not knowing the language I got off at the Hauptbahnhof and I was like okay so this is my life now for the next four years so already there was a big like step into the unknown and and for me it was just kind of I respected Berlin as a cultural center I was extremely curious as to what the academy was going to entail and so were they because as I say I was the first cohort of students we were molding it together staff and students at the same time so I just embraced um newness shall we say and so this like ability to to be open-minded was something that the academy fostered Hugely, and we studied not just music but the humanities, so I actually have a degree in music in the humanities, so we were studying philosophy, history, history of art, literature, global issues and I think putting those things with music is wonderful um for us in an academic sense, but also in this way that you're talking about uh, looking at music from from a different perspective, understanding Beethoven in a philosophical way in a historical way while, rather than me just stressing about a couple of hard arpeggios. And this, is, this obviously comes from Boehm himself. Mm. Um, and I was very lucky being the first cohort of students. He had a lot of time for us. I played to him within two weeks of being there. And ever since, I've done more or less every project that has involved a horn that he's been involved in uh, since. So I played so to him. So he likes you. <laughs> yes, but it, you know. Is that what are uh, it, it. It's a perfect example of being in the right place at the right time. Mm. Um, He was looking for a horn player for the West eastern Divan Orchestra. I've done every tour for the last five years. Um, And and that's kind of a more conventional route. I've also sat with him in his front room in his house playing Sandy Goh's trio for horn, violin and piano with his son, just thinking this is the most surreal thing (laughs) possible. Um, So I was kind of really... I, I obviously had the BBC Young Musician, and there was a certain amount of kudos that went with that. And then immediately, I just left. I went yes. to Berlin. Well, I wondered because you're
0: in the same, um, you know, you're in the same competition as Shaker and Jess, exactly. and they stayed at home. Signed to Decker and you went to Berlin, which obviously made me wonder, what did you say to Decker? But, but
1: yes, well, stay tuned. Um, <laughs> okay, but yeah, it, it was very important for me to study. This was the number one thing. I wanted to study. I didn't want to start a career at the age of 19. I wasn't ready. Uh, if a musician taught me anything, it's that I wasn't ready to go from that stage to going and doing it full time. I needed a period of study. I needed a safe space um, where I could where I could fail, actually. I remember I went for a meeting with somebody and they said exactly that. I told them about the academy. I told them the conditions. And they said, it's an amazing place that you've got there is like a safety network. It's somewhere where you can go and play concerts, but then you can go back and you can still be nurtured. And that was incredibly important for me because I think without that, you can really get lost. Um, You can have experiences. And and many past BBC musician winners talk about this. Uh, I have the greatest respect for somebody like Nicola Benedetti. I think she's absolutely wonderful, but she very openly talks about how difficult she found it afterwards to play 100 concerts a year from basically nothing so it was very important to me that I, that I manage that especially with the horn because it's not a conventional thing um, and, and whilst I don't think that I've got kind of one shot I wanted to make sure that my artistic vision went the way I wanted and wasn't sidetracked by um, sensationalism
0: well, Did it help being abroad?
1: I think definitely this, this distance although it means nothing in the digital global world there is an element of, of distance there um, of not being sucked in of just the people you see on a daily basis, and the fact that I was doing something so intense and so new um, yeah, it was it was I, I could not have been happier in hindsight that I, that I made that choice
0: uh, the Dennis brain tribute struck me as a as a personal project of yours, something that you really wanted to do i 'm not entirely sure where i 'm getting that from, but that was just the impression I had um, <clears throat> What is, what does Dennis Brain mean to you? Because, you know, he's he's someone I listen to on scratchy recordings and sort of think, how do you respond to him as a horn player? Mm.
1: Well, he is an example of somebody that was incredibly passionate about what he does. And you find many people throughout history that do that. It just so happens that he was an individual uh, that he was an individual that did that on the horn. And what he did in such a tragically short life is remarkable the status that he got the horn to I mean his recordings with Karian the Mozart recordings were on EMI's top 20 bestsellers for 20 years after his death which has not happened since and and that's not just because he played wonderfully that's because of his personality he was loved by everyone he wasn't um, egocentric he wasn't flamboyant he was just a down to earth really brilliant musician that was passionate about what he did and pushed it to its extremes and how do
0: you know that though because you're young?
1: I'm young but I've I've read biographies. Oh, okay. I know I know um for example Ursula Jones the widow of Philip Jones Dennis Brain played at her wedding and I I'm very close to her and I've often exchanged Um, a lot of conversations with her about Dennis Brain and she used to book him to come into the Philharmonia and I asked her exactly this question I said what was he like you know because it's true it's true of Schubert it's true of Mozart it's also true of Dennis Brain and I say this in deep respect when somebody dies early the legend can be shall we say exaggerated beyond what might have been the reality and I asked her I said of course he played wonderfully of course you know he, he, he was a star but what was he like day to day and she really she just answered me that he was a humble guy came to do the job and, and, and I really respect that uh,
0: so are, is there is there a hint in what you've said that actually pre-Dennis Brain the horn didn't really have much of a profile or didn't have the profile that it had after him
1: I mean it was he the, what he did with the horn cannot be overst- I mean it didn't have a profile it really didn't in a, in a solo setting it did not have a profile um, certainly not since the Baroque period. Um, so, what
0: did he do? Yeah, what what should clarinetists failed clarinetists like me be listening for when I listen to those recordings?
1: Yeah, so I mean, the, there are many elements. Element one is that he played better than everyone else. There's this old myth that if you got three out of five notes, you were considered a great <laughs> professional, and he just knocked these kind of myths so out accuracy. of the park. But accuracy, but just like level of playing. And what that did was inspire the composers around him. And this, I think, was his biggest legacy. That's why I called the CD legacies because composers around him saw that actually the horn could be something more than it had been. So you had Britain, you had Hindemith, you had Lennox Barclay, you had Gordon Jacob, Malcolm Arnold, all turning up saying, please, I want to write for you. And that hadn't happened so they before.
0: Then. They just, they,
1: they often more often than not, composers were coming to him. That's true of Britain, that's true of Hindemith. Um, I can't remember the top of my head. I think no, I Mal- so Malcolm, Mal- Malcolm Arnold and him mm-hmm. were, were very close, um, very good friends, and I think probably the second concerto came out of a mutual friendship. But to my knowledge, he wasn't actively going out and, and doing anything. It was just all coming to him because he radiated this kind of incredible energy and, and passion for the instrument.
0: Uh, tell me about the Nussing Concerto. <laughs>
1: Well, the Nussan Concerto was written for Barry Tuckwell, who was quite possibly the next, shall we say, Dennis Brain, um, certainly an English horn playing despite being Australian. And um, the Nassen Concerto, for me, it's the greatest horn concerto of the 20th century. Um, I really think it's, well, certainly the second half of the 20th century. It's- Absolutely remarkable it uses the horn in a way that hadn't been before it's really pushing the boundaries um, and and most importantly and this is true if you compare it to a Strauss concerto or Mozart concerto even I hasten to say the, the Briton, he's not treating the horn as a horn anymore It's a solo voice. It's not taking con- into consideration technical capabilities. You don't have a six-eight rondo at the end, which even Britain couldn't um, shy away from. There's still the, the six-eight rondo, and so you have this like remarkable virtuosic work that's so colourful that takes a master's kind of use of orchestration and just adds a solo horn line on top. I can't. I can't wait to play it. <laughs>
0: same way that you respond to the idea of brain that actually musicians respond to the same qualities in ollie Nusson's work because of him because he was a similar sort of personality
1: totally totally and actually as, as we're sat here talking about this after the concert I would say the same is true now for somebody like Mark Simpson uh, Mark is writing me a piece that we're going to premiere next week at the Barbican and it's I'm just in awe of him. I'm in awe that he's playing the clarinet as well as he does and now he's going to be holed up in a room writing a piece for next week and he's just a remarkable person really. He brings
0: remarkable energy to the stage. I mean, I have seen him play before but uh, he has a sort of a vitality and an urgency before he's even played anything Mm. that you just think whatever you're going to provide I don't don't really need an introduction just do it. Uh, And I think that that's a rare that's a rare quality in the music
1: world certainly I and mean, he's like that off the stage as well is is he's it? A, he's a, he's a, that must be exhausting he's just I, I, I love him I think he's brilliant I think the energy he has for life and for music is remarkable and I'm, I'm very envious of him <laughs> Yeah.
0: and the Gips as well you're playing the Gips with the BBC Symphony Orchestra
1: was written for her son, Lance Baker. Um, again, it's a very, very colourful work. It's an example of an English tradition that perhaps wasn't breaking boundaries. Um, if we compare somebody like Oliver Nusson with Ruth Gipps, it's a very different musical world. She's um, she's very much writing in a tonal way. She's writing kind of looking back, whereas Oliver Nusson perhaps is looking forward and that's a discussion for another day, but the, the result is an extremely colorful, melodic, extremely virtuosic work, full of beautiful tunes, lilting melodies.
0: brings you joy
1: what brings me joy it feels cliche to say music but it really does and it's a it's such a hard profession and i get so nervous but then you get on the stage and you start and it's just like this 25 minute bubble that doesn't burst and you're just there playing the music and it's, it's so uplifting uh, especially when you have the privilege of doing it with such wonderful friends and colleagues
0: Tell me three things that a person who is close to you would say they find most annoying about you.
1: Oh, <laughs> the thinking of my girlfriend. Um, I'm a control freak. I hope it doesn't go to the extent that it's a negative thing, but I can imagine it's probably rather annoying.
0: How are you most controlling outside of your music life?
1: I, because, because everything is so erratic, I really like order. I like things to be tidy, I like things to be on time, and I can imagine that that's probably annoying to live with.
0: Okay, so that's number one. Okay, number
1: two? I'm obsessive about the way I live. I practice um, religiously, I do sport every day, Um, I read a lot, I study a lot, and that probably also is is rather tiring for those around me.
0: Uh, So what was the most recent book that you enjoyed that you'd recommend?
1: (sighs) I just read two absolutely remarkable books. Um, Vladimir, blah, Vladimir Nabokov Despair, which I thought was absolutely remarkable. <laughs> it's an absolutely wonderful book. Okay. And another book which I didn't expect to see myself reading, but totally fell in love with, and that was Sophie's Choice. Uh, I finished that yesterday, actually, on the train.
0: Uh, and number three. You're giving me two things
1: that are nice. Oh, the number third three. one. Yeah. Well, i don't answer questions properly <laughs> no um i don't know having Andrew, massaged my ego at the beginning this now feels <laughs> this feels wrong um yeah, that's i'm not that. very good at washing up i don't i probably I was about to ask you about I the probably, dishwasher
0: do you do you load the dishwasher how do you load the dishwasher
1: i, I definitely don't hold my weight in household chores that's for sure okay. but how do
0: you hold the, but how do you load the dishwasher You're looking at me in a way that says that you don't do that No, no, no,
1: I I do now and then So
0: you like order, you like things to be neat and tidy but you don't load the
1: dishwasher Well, I'm very seldom at home Oh, nice get (laughs) out
0: You've been listening to the Thoroughly Good classical music podcast presented by John Jacob Follow Thoroughly Good on Twitter at Thoroughly Good Thoroughly underscore good on Instagram and Thoroughly good me on Facebook. The Thoroughly Good classical music podcast is available on any half decent podcast platform like Google or Amazon or Spotify, plus some others you might not have heard of.